Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to be back with you. I wanted to thank you personally for uh, praying and supporting me and my family as we navigated the passing of my father. Um, two things really spoke to me during this time. One was the opportunity to come alongside my dad before he met the Lord and to just have some really meaningful times with he and the family. But the second thing was just how much you guys cared for me and supported me and prayed for me from cards to emails to texts. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You have no idea how much that meant to me. So I wanted to thank you for that. We're in our second week in this series called Witness, and we're going to be looking at, again, the outflow of this hinge passage in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 4, so turn there and I'll bring you up to speed to where we're at. This is kind of the anchor verse of the whole book of Acts. It outlines what the whole story, the narrative that Luke writes about the acts of the apostles of Jesus. And Jesus said to them while they were in Jerusalem, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There would be no place that the love of God through Jesus Christ could not be proclaimed. There, this unlimited love, this unlimited truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us is to go out. They were to be witnesses. How? How in the world did, as you trace this story through the book of Acts, how in the world did it do this? And the answer is that it was, the gospel was spread one life to another through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of the gospel in the lives of others. Paul would say to the church in Thessalonica, he said, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. That word encouragement in the Greek, it's actually two words put together. To encourage someone means para kaleo. Para means you come alongside them. Some of you are paras in a school, so you come alongside students and help them learn. But then kaleo means to call out. And that's the picture that you're to do. You're to come alongside someone and speak into them, affirm them, and call out who is God and who they are as children of God. And so the church is to do this. And as it does this, it builds us up versus tearing us down. Now, we get this all from God, who by his very nature is an encouraging God. We have the spirit who Jesus called the paraclete which would be the one who comes alongside you and speaks the truth of you, truth of, of God in you and guides you in all truth. And so the spirit by its very nature is a encourager, a paraclete in our lives. And as you think about this, the one person I see this just exemplified in the book of Acts is the person Barnabas. Barnabas, whom the uh, apostles called the son of encouragement. His real name was Joe, <laughs> but they thought, man, this guy is better than the name Joe. Can you imagine that? Um, and we need to name him something of what he does. And so he was the son of encouragement. They didn't even, you know, when they introduced him, now please welcome the son of encouragement, Barnabas. That was his name. And as we look at this, we're going to see how he chose to be what's called a balcony, a balcony person. And and we're going to realize that when he was a balcony person and he spoke into people's lives and came alongside them, we saw the gospel would advance upon the platform of that encouragement. 
Now, a balcony person, if you want to be one, you're going to have to be someone who builds up rather than tears down, someone who comes alongside and believes in the word of God in the lives of people. You're going to need to be someone who who kind of thinks about more of uh, a presence of affirmation rather than a critique, rather than an evaluator of everyone around you. You need to show up and give your life away to them. That's what it means to be a balcony person. Because there's two types of people you'll meet. You'll meet a balcony person or you'll meet a basement person. And the basement person is always showing you your flaws. They're always pointing out that you don't measure up. They're criticizing. They're cynical. And, and they basically will tear people down. This is destructive to the work of God. Now, it's not that a balcony person never delivers difficult or hard news. It's just that the motive in which they do it is for you rather than annoyed by you or frustrated by you. Now, I think that you are all here because, frankly, we want to be balcony people. But if I look at what motivates you most in life, most of what motivates our lives when our mind is not set on Christ is the basement person. It's the story It's the critique we heard. It's the words, whether abusive or critical or rejectionary in high school or middle school. Some of us are just self-talking the basement words or phrases we view ourselves as. And so we need someone in our lives who can call out life and light from the balcony. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. To be an encouragement, to live on the balcony, is a choice. Encouragement is a choice. You can choose to live on the balcony or live in the basement. And I want to encourage you to live on the balcony. So the first thing I want to talk to you about in the life of of Barnabas is that his choice was how he viewed himself. And he viewed himself as, as someone to give away, as a gift to give away. Not as the gift to people, but a gift to give more of Christ away. And the first point we see is in the church in Jerusalem. The church began in Jerusalem because it was right where the resurrection happened. The resurrection news wasn't something preached from the, from the alley. It was preached from the rooftops. And every, everyone was getting their mind around who was Jesus and what did he come to do. And the apostles were teaching that Jesus was the Christ. He was the one who lived and died and rose again for us. And salvation would be in his name. So believe in Christ. Whoever believes in the name of Jesus will be saved. And one of the things that we see in this community of people, the church, as they started to grow, is to look what it says about that. In Acts 4.32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Boy, this is really our desire to be with a group of people that we share our faith with, that we share the love of Christ with, that there's an acceptance of each other in the love of Christ, and that there's a, a speaking the truth and grace of God with joy in that environment. And it now it introduces us to Barnabas. Look at this in verse 36. He says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, reading this from a 21st century, we just go, a guy had a field, he sold it, and he brought it the money to the church, and that was great. 
But if you were in the Middle Eastern world, especially the ancient Middle Eastern world, he gave away his 401k. To own land was your family's financial security. That land would produce for you, not just in your generation, but you would hand it to your family and they wouldn't be poor. This would, this would produce income and stability, financial stability for them. And here is what Barnabas did. He realized he's not his own. He's been bought with a price. And he realized that the focus of his life was to glorify God with his body, with his wealth, with his possessions. He did the unthinkable. So in that spirit, we're going to ask you to all bring your 401ks and lay them right here at my feet. Okay, I know. Just for me sharing that, for just I know that some of you used to have a 401, now it's a 201. Um, just that emotion that you might bring up from that, you just go like, no way, why would I ever do that? And why would we ever? Unless, unless our lives are not our own and Jesus is worth it in our lives to give that to others. Barnabas did that. He did the unthinkable. And as as he's exemplified in doing it, look what happens. Look what the result of that. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. I know in our culture, it's so easy just to call the government to take care of people. You know, that's why we give taxes, right? But here, the the government's doing it because the church didn't. And the church needed to be, as it was in the first century, they needed to be a group that just didn't say, how can we take, but rather, how can we give? How can we help each other? How can we come alongside of each other and support each other? And, and that was that picture. He saw himself as a gift. And encouragement is a choice to give yourself away. When you walk in a room, there's two impulses that usually move and motivate people. One is the here I am impulse. In other words, hello, what are people thinking of me? How will I be accepted here? What will people think? How do I control this? How do I lead this? It looks disorganized. How do I take control? The other one is there you are. When you walk in a room and you have the posture of there you are, that's when encouragement comes out. Because then my posture, then my whole motivation is not, what can I get out of this? What good are you to me? How can I work through a transaction? How can I control this place? But how could I come in and make a difference in someone's life? That's the posture that Barnabas had. How can I make a difference here? How can my life be used? So you don't see yourself as the gift to humanity. You leverage and you steward yourself as a gift from God to bless others. All that you are, all that you have, is there to make Jesus greater. When you encourage the gospel in someone else, you show up to build up. And rather than tear down, you give yourself away. Secondly, encouragement is a choice to engage people with grace. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 starts out saying that Paul was breathing out murderous threats against the Christians. And he would have them arrested and have them beaten. And uh, some of them he would have martyred. Stephen, the first deacon of the church, is martyred at this time. And Saul was there. Saul now would later become named Paul. Okay? So just remember that as you're reading through the book of Acts. That that becomes his name. But here he's Saul. And, and uh, he, on the way to Damascus, chasing after Christians... A light appears to him and he's blinded by this light. And he goes to Damascus and meets a guy named Ananias who explains the way of Jesus to him. And he puts his faith and trust in Christ and his eyes are open and his heart is open to the gospel. His life radically changes. 
and he starts preaching the gospel. The one he, very gospel he tried to destroy, he becomes a major preacher of the gospel, and people start coming to Christ. I mean, if God doesn't have a sense of humor, I don't know. But someone who used to martyr Christians is now giving them the message of the gospel. So after a while, he goes to Jerusalem. And this is what happens in Jerusalem. Look further down in Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 26. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. No, duh. I mean, what would you do? He killed your friends and relatives. He, he killed maybe brothers and sisters. And, and now he comes in. What's up? I mean, he used to have us arrested. And, and can we invite him in? Can we welcome him in there? What would happen to this radical believer and radical life change of this one guy who now is an apostle? Well, look what happens. Barnabas steps up. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Paul literally went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Look at that. What would happen to this apostle in Jerusalem, the epicenter of the Christian faith at that time? Well, Barnabas came alongside of him and said, hey, he's legit. I saw him. I saw the work of God in him. I've seen him preach. I even have seen him suffer for the cause of the gospel. And now he's preaching it. So based on my word, you can believe him. And that's exactly what happened. Not only did Paul go out freely and have freedom to preach boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, but look at what it says about the church. Look down at verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. There's that encouragement word. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied. It multiplied under an an environment of division. They didn't know what to think about Paul. There, There was conflict there. Barnabas stepped in and said, he's legit. And because of his word, Paul's word could go out. You have no idea how powerful your words in the lives of people or the lives speaking for people can do in the hands of the Lord. And encouragement is a choice to engage people with grace. Now, I want to tell you, in a very divided world, it's really easy to choose people that you prefer to be around and to have your preferences be what guide you to other people. So as long as you vote like me, you look like me, you talk like me, you live where I live, you drive what I drive and do what I do, then we're good. That's preferences, and that's a preference-driven relationship. And our world has deepened in preferences rather than the priority of God. And as you look at the priority in the New Testament of the heart of God for people, it's here it is, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not whoever votes like this, whoever believes in the Roman Empire. It's not who's, who likes Paul over Apollos. It's whoever believes in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the priorities is, is that whoever, that's a really unlimited great uh, angle there. If people were to reach out to, people were to share with truth and grace the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not to compromise the gospel or the truth of God, but we're to do it on a platform of love and gentleness and respect. 
And that's a major cultural uh, difference than even, not just in the first century, but even today. And so we have to orient our lives around the priorities of God. And the priorities of God reach out to a lot of different people, people like you and unlike you. And the gospel moved because people started loving and engaging people with grace rather than with judgment. Barnabas was able to approach Paul with grace because God was working out his plan and he could see the legitimate God behind the apostle Paul who worked and who moved and who who converted and transformed his life and there he could speak more about this is God's person because he saw the work of God in him. That required him though to engage people with grace. Third, encouragement is a choice to be a multiplier. So now we move to the church, and it talks about how it was scattered. A lot of us think that the gospel just went joyously through the first century world, but in reality, it went through. It, people literally ran for their lives. That was their mission program. So someone would show up, say, are you a Christian, and order their arrest. And one person would hear about that, and they'd run for their lives. They'd go underground, and, and they ran. And it says in Acts chapter 11... It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Antioch is, uh, well, Cyprus is an island to its own out in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Antioch is a a town. It was the third largest Roman town in the Roman Empire. It was about 300 miles away from Jerusalem. And look what they did. They were speaking the word to no one except Jews. Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, and they they were preaching there the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent who? Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I like this. Look at verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. If, by the way, if that's the summary of your life, you're a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and a, and a person of faith. That's enough. Well done, good and faithful servant. And look at this. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, let me just show you the significance of Antioch. Because outside of Acts 11, we don't hear a lot about it. We don't have first and second Antichians. You know, we like Corinthians or anything like that. And so we've got to go off of what we know here. It became the epicenter of the Christian faith in this first century. And it was because when people outside the Jewish world came to Christ, the gospel started multiplying. So just geographically, let me put this up there. And if you're watching at home, get some binoculars, okay? Lower, at the lower part of the screen is Jerusalem, okay? And if you go all the way up to the top, you'll see Syrian Antioch. That's 300 miles away. Currently, that's in Turkey right now. 
Okay, Damascus, you can see where we talked about earlier, Paul went to that. And if we move up a little bit closer, this is uh, when, when the disciples heard about that, they sent Barnabas up to Antioch. He went over to Tarsus, which is about 50 miles away, came back with the apostle Paul, and they started looking at these new believers. They weren't like, as Jewish as the church usually was. And so the question was, what do we do with these people? Are we going to keep them or are we going to say, no, you got to be Jewish first? And Barnabas said, this is legit. Jesus was obedient to the law. We just need to be obedient through faith. It's always been based about faith. So anyone who believes in Christ, believes in him, trusts in him, will be saved. And as a result, this Antioch became a major sending area. I put the little blob there on the right-hand side of that. That's where Antioch is. But that's where the gospel spread throughout the first century. Because this place took ground and was a major sending church for the gospel. It encouraged the gospel in people. And, and Paul and Barnabas stood there and they taught people and sent people from Antioch to go out and change the world. And if you look 50 more years beyond the first century, you'll see that that it became the epicenter of where the gospel went in the next 50 years. You have apostles like Thomas being killed for his faith in India. You have the, the reach going up into Germany. And even some gone, have gone to uh, what's now Great Britain. All because of this one church. He, they saw themselves as multipliers. In other words, this is not just for me. It's not just my faith. This is a message for the entire world. So that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We need people who see the gospel moving beyond ourselves, moving beyond the walls of this church into our community, into our state, across our country, and to the end of the earth. We need to be careful that this is not just an American idea. This was given to us by the Middle East, okay? It's, it doesn't have a great track record in the American experience, right? It's been given to us through Northern Africans. We're the first to believe this, and it's spread from the Middle East to the ends of the earth. We must realize this because of God's unlimited grace, his unlimited love through the person of Jesus. Encouragement is a choice to be a multiplier, not a divider. Amidst a divisive church, amidst a divisive culture, the gospel just spread because people wanted to encourage the good news in the lives of each other. Encouragement is a choice to be a multiplier. And finally, encouragement is a choice to endear with those who are struggling. Okay, so as I was telling you, the conflict in the church was, does someone, once they receive Christ, need to be Jewish or can they still be Gentile? And the church in Acts chapter 15 decides once and for all, no, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to become Jewish if you become a follower of Jesus. And frankly, I'm very thankful for this. Okay, we'd have a whole bunch of different rituals and different ceremonies that, uh, and rites of passages if we had to be Jewish to become a Christian. But it's all about Jesus, right? And so the church said to Paul and Barnabas, you guys go and you take a missionary journey and you spread this news. You spread it throughout the church and just clarify what our decision is. And so they went to go and take this missionary journey. And look at this. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them on this journey, John called Mark. 
But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not had gone with them to the work. In other words, there was a time before when John Mark got afraid. This was difficult work. And he deserted them. He just ran, perhaps ran for his life or something like that, never came back. But look at this in verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Okay, so here we have a church squabble. What do you do on this? Are we always going to agree? No. Are we going to always agree on and even how we do things? Probably not all the time. But here you've got Barnabas, and he stands up for John Mark and says, Paul, give him another chance. And Paul says, no. So he goes on his way. And if you follow from Acts, from this passage in Acts, and you just follow the narrative, we see Paul and Cyrus, and we journey with them. We get their whole experience through this narrative. We don't hear anything from this point out about Barnabas and John Mark. They just kind of go. So it's tempting to go, God didn't like Barnabas. He liked Paul. And so he kept his story front and center. But in reality, we get evidence that it was different. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. Luke is alone with me. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He went with Paul. That's why we have the story. (laughs) Because he just went with him. But he says, get Mark. That's John Mark. And bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. See that? Because Barnabas came alongside someone who had failed Paul and probably, you know, petered out on, on, um, on ministry at that time because Barnabas came alongside of him and was that encouragement. There came a point in Paul's ministry where Paul looked at him and said, bring him here, he's useful to me. I need him back on my team. It would have never happened if both of them would have said, yep, yeah, he's in no good. He failed you in the past, you're out. By the way, have you ever had a balcony person who knew everything about you but chose to hang with you anyway? See, that's what a balcony person like Barnabas does. They they recognize, no, you're not perfect. And they don't just pump sunshine in the face, they, your face. They know the reality about you and they continue to stay committed to you. That's Barnabas. And as a result, as a result of him coming alongside someone who was struggling the word of God blooms and the gospel of Jesus blooms through their lives. That's so important that we do that. That we don't have this image of Christianity in our lives that we're so perfect and we're so self-righteous and we don't do with those people and we hang with those. No, we need to be people who come alongside the struggling because the struggling need to see the light of the gospel. And you need to even remember your own track record. Think about Paul. He wasn't accepted in Jerusalem. Why didn't he think of it at this time? Look, I used to kill Christians. I was used to be the worst of sinners. But for some reason, he operated on a different platform with John Mark. And because of Barnabas, the one who was struggling got restored. That's the picture. Jesus wins is the end of this story. So as we think about Barnabas, I just want to introduce you to one of my Barnabases in life. And at my... Um, at my father's celebration of life service this past week, I just thought of this verse. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. 
And I think about the last days that my dad had, these last two months of being diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I think about all the people my dad uh, would encourage. And one image that I shared with people at the service was this one. It's a picture of my dad, and I just remember, it's one of the kind of compelling images I have of my dad, that he'd sit down with me when I'd visit him, whether out in California or in Milwaukee, and he'd say, Joe, sit down, tell me, tell me where things are going with the church. How can I help you? How things are going with Cheryl? How are the boys doing? And he just became that balcony person to me. And uh, I think about the 62 members of my family and immediate family, how they were influenced by his words of encouragement. But you know, he wasn't always an encourager. There was a time when I got into ministry that I would send him my cassette tape of preaching, and that's how long ago it was. And kids, there used to be these things called cassette tapes that would have things on them. Now it's just digital and you transfer something like, we had to rewind it when we got done. But I remember he would get my tapes and then he'd call me. He said, got your tape. Silence. Well, what did you think? Well, you know, you're still preaching to a youth group. You need to, if you're preaching to adults, you need to use adult words now. And, and then that transition was a little rough between that. And I would go, thank you very much. Click. Okay. And after a while, I quit sending my tapes to him. And he called me and said, hey, I heard you preach this last weekend. Send me the tape. I said, I'm not sending you my tape. He says, why wouldn't you send me your tape? I said, dad, I'm a pastor in a church. We have enough critics. We really do. And, and I don't, frankly, I don't look for you to be my critic. I, and he was quiet. And he said, well, thank you very much. We hung up the phone. And my mom was there when we were talking. And he just sobbed. He said, I had no idea. I, I want to help him be better. I, I love him. I, I want him to be. And he changed. The next time, he, I got what he says, the best message I've ever heard in my life. Okay? <laughs> More recently, he would call on Saturday night and say, hey, I've got you all prayed up for the weekend, man. I got you prayed up. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in your life. And then after, he'd always watch the five o'clock online service, and I'd get a text or a call. Best message I heard. I loved how you did this. This really reached me. And at the celebration of life service, we have other people in my family who are in the ministry. And one of my nephews said, Uncle Joe, he'd call me too and said, best message he ever heard. <laughs> and I think one of the most difficult things for me to navigate is I'm not going to get those calls any, anymore. And uh, sorry, I'm going emotional here, but I'll miss those calls. And as I, I was thinking about this and uh, feeling this loss and getting my mind around it, it just occurred to me, why did he do that to you? Why did he share his art? Why did he encourage you? And the answer is, so that I would encourage others. And his legacy is now in us, his family. His legacy is there. God put him in our lives so that we would learn from him, see who God is. That's the very nature of God being the encouraging God. And would call me not to just seek the encouragement of my father, but to be an encouragement to my children and to my friends 
and you, my church. That's why God put him in my life. So this morning, I woke up and got some time in my chair with the Lord and was reading the Bible and about to pray, and my phone started ringing, and it was my son James. And James is starting a a year of traveling as a traveling nurse with he and his wife, and he was on his way to North Carolina up early driving, and he called, Dad, I listened to your sermon last night. Best sermon I ever heard. (laughs) And I want to let you know I got you prayed up. And that's where God just reminded me. He's risen. He's with the Lord. My dad's more alive than he's ever been. But he's left us here to live out that legacy. If we'll just be an encouragement. If we'll just be more balcony people. There's no limit to what God can do through our lives. If we'll just encourage others and build them up. This is the picture that we have. We see it in the New Testament. We see it through the life of Barnabas. And we can live it today. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for the gift of your word that shows us how you worked and how you are working today through each of us. We thank you for the balcony people you have given our lives to show us a greater picture of who you are. Lord, call us out of the basement to live in the balcony and to come alongside each other, our spouses, our children, our friends, our neighbors, the people we work with. And in such a deficit world, help us to be surplus people with your love and your truth and your grace. And may Jesus become greater. May he shine as we encourage each other and build each other up. And may the gospel advance to the end of the earth. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.